0: We are gonna start. My dad used to say, start on time, end on time. Yep. And I've always followed those rules. Yeah, right. (laughs) I wanna give you an outline of last Sunday's message. We're gonna do something a little different in that I want us to discuss some of what we talked about last week. If you weren't here, we're gonna take the time to review. But uh, at the end, of this review, we're going to have a time of discussion and we're going to answer some questions that I have written down. Some of those questions were as well in the email that I sent out and so if anybody else comes, I'll let you pass those out and then you can set the extras there. Well, one of the things that I have learned through the years is that when you ask a question, you have to be prepared for any number of responses. And I'm sure that there's been times when you asked a question and got a far different answer than the one that you were anticipating. I want to read something that illustrates this beautifully. It says, in a trial in a small South Carolina town, a prosecuting attorney called his first witness to the stand. She was sworn in, asked if she could tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth on the Bible, so help her God. The witness was a proper, well-dressed, elderly lady, the grandmother type, well-spoken, posed. The prosecuting attorney approached her and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, why, yes, I do. I've known you since you were a little boy, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. (laughs) You lie, you cheat on your wife, and you manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. The lawyer was stunned. Not knowing what else to do, he pointed across the room and asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? She replied, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster too. He's lazy, bigoted, and he has a drinking problem. (laughs) He can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the worst in the entire state. Not to mention, he cheated on his wife with three different women. One of them was yours. Yes, I know him. The defense attorney nearly died. The judge asked both counselors to approach the bench and in a very quiet voice said, if either of you idiots ask her if she knows me, I'll send you both to the electric chair. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we're going to talk this morning and have some questions asked and hopefully you'll be able to answer them. And they come from what we talked about last Sunday. One of the things that's going to happen in our small groups, if you go to a small group, is there will be questions that you will ask, that will be asked of you and you'll have a chance to answer them and sort of interact with the message. And last Sunday, if you remember, we talked about the whole issue of confrontation, admonishing, correcting, helping people who are in error. And we looked at 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. Where it says, "Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort." The word "rebuke" there means to, you know, browbeat, to show disrespect to. But you exhort him, and the word there, interestingly, is a word that is somewhat related. I want, don't want to press this too much to the word "Holy Spirit." It, it's a word that means to come alongside and to encourage. It has the idea of putting your arm around a person and you exhort him as if he were your father. You treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. One of the things that's interesting about this passage, and I didn't bring it out, but Ken and I were discussing it before I preached, and he had a very, very good observation. He said one of the things that is telling in this passage is that it mentions that in a church you are going to have all different ages of people, older people, younger people. And one of the concerns that I have is that some churches, not all, but some churches seem to be geared for the older folks, and other churches are geared for the younger folks. And I think that's a great disservice to people who attend those kinds of churches. You need a balance where you have all different ages of people. When I was a student at Dallas Theological Seminary, my very best friend who came down to Dallas from Philadelphia with his wife Lynn, his name was Bob, they had two little children, Mindy and Matthew. And I will never forget the heartbreak that we went through. In fact, it was one of the saddest experiences that I have gone through, is that little Matthew was being babysat by Bob's sister. And Bob's background was such that he got saved. He was in Vietnam, he was a, a, a Marine or Army guy. He saw plenty of action, but he got saved. I mean. It was, it was a, an Apostle Paul Road to Damascus experience. And what the tragedy was is when he was down there at Dallas, he wanted to get into Dallas Seminary and he wasn't able to get in because of his grades as well as the fact that he couldn't handle the languages. But Bob's sister, who had come out of an equally bad background, was babysitting Mindy and Matthew. And she literally killed the child. She said that he fell off the bed and hit his head. But there were multiple fractures on this child's head. And here's where the tragedy came in. Bob and Lynn and Bob's sister went to the same church. And it was made up all of young people. I mean, I don't think there was a person in that church over the age of 30 And they so mishandled that, that Bob got so turned off to Christianity that he totally walked away. His marriage failed, and it was just an absolute disaster. And I can still remember, I I can still remember watching the news when they, when she went to trial. I mean, it it was big news. And all of the people, from the church were gathered around Wendy, was her name, and they were praying for her. And Bob and Lynn were literally off in the corner. And I remember when Matthew died, Connie and I were watching, because it happened on a Friday night, and then he died Saturday afternoon. And Bob and Lynn asked Mindy, who at that time was like three or four years old. She said they, they needed to go to the hospital. And they said, who do you want to take care of you? And she said, Uncle Doug and Aunt Connie. And so we were there. And we were there. We took Mindy to the house when they told Mindy that Matthew had died. And you will, I mean, the wailing, it was so sad. But that church, because it was made up of all young, immature, and that's the only word for it, people totally mishandled that. There's a reason elders are called elders. (laughs) They're not kids. And I look back on my time as a pastor And I am very grateful that when I graduated from Dallas Seminary as a 26, 27-year-old person, I think it was either 26 or 27, uh, I was able to go to churches and serve with a board of very godly, mature, experienced men. Now, I just spent five minutes rambling on something that I wasn't gonna talk about, but I think that's important. But Paul says here, talking about this whole issue of exhortation. And last week, on Sunday, we talked about some of the hindrances. And they're listed on your piece of paper, why we don't confront people. And let me just go through them real quickly. The first is, of course, fear. We're scared to death. In fact, fear is probably too mild a word. We're actually petrified, right? Nobody likes to confront people. Second, a misunderstanding of Matthew 7-1, where Jesus in his hillside sermon says, judge not lest ye be judged. And we all think, oh, it's not my place to judge anybody. Correction requires that you're making a judgment call on that person's behavior. And Jesus is not saying that we're, we're not to correct, we're not to judge we're not to confront. We're not to rebuke. What he's saying is make sure you do it with the right motives and make sure that you've dealt with sin in your own life. And none of us is perfect. Third is an awareness of personal sin, right? We, we know that we ourselves are not perfect. I, I am always hesitant to rebuke a, a, another man because I'm always afraid he's going to turn the tables on me. You know, if I say, look, you're being a rotten father, you need to stop. You need to, you're not treating your wife well. Especially if maybe he saw me be coarse with Connie. And that doesn't happen very often. I Believe me. Last Sunday I mentioned that, you know, Connie corrected me. And rebuked me. And here she was reading scripture to me in the process of her rebuke, and I'll tell you what it was. I had said that somebody was an idiot, and I stand by it. (laughs) And Connie had read a paraphrase in her Bible reading about this whole issue of, you know, you're not supposed to call anybody a fool, and the word that they used in that translation, this paraphrase, was the word idiot. And I said, Connie, that's not an, oh, yes, you shouldn't be calling people idiots. Well, maybe not, but you know what I mean. Third, or rather fourth, we're lazy. It takes work. It takes energy. Fifth is relative morality. Uh, I don't know if you know, I, I, I'm, I'm almost wanting to stop watching. I forget which channel it is, but it's the Fox News. Not Fox News News the cable show, but Fox News Local. Because they are one of the sponsors of the Gay Pride Parade today. And I saw some advertisements for it. And I thought to myself, what are they doing promoting that? Very disheartening. But if you and I take a stand against sexual issues, abortion, uh, things that are going on, we're accused of being bigoted, narrow-minded. Why? Because there's no longer absolutes in our world. Abortion. Fifth or whatever number we're on, or six. Uncertainty over whether or not it's an issue worth correcting. Right? You know, is that really something that you that we should confront over? Now. How do I go about correcting? I suggested last Sunday that we ask seven questions. First, is my life an example? Paul said to Timothy, set an example for the believer in your speech, conduct, in love, in faith, in impurity. So our lives have to be somewhat of an example. Second, do I have adequate relationship with that person? None of us like to be confronted by people who are sticking their nose in a matter that they know nothing about. I will gladly take rebukes from the elders of this church, but I'm not going to take it from somebody who walks in the door and doesn't have a relationship with me. Uh, call me immature. <laughs> call me carnal. We can discuss it. 1 Timothy 5 talks about, obviously, relationships, right? Father... Mother, sister, brother. So there's a relationship there. Additionally, do I have all the facts? Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who gives an answer before listening, that is his folly and his shame. You know, I don't know about you, but as a parent, there were times when I would correct my children and I would go into a room and there was a child that I thought was the one who was the problem And that person got punished only to find out later that I had totally, totally mishandled the situation. Do I have all the facts? The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. You know, in a court of law, what is it? The prosecutor has his opportunity to present his case and the defense attorney gets a chance to rebut. And then hopefully justice is served. Additionally, do I have the right motives and objectives? Am I going to make myself feel better? Am I going to just beat on somebody that I think needs beating on? Do I have the right wording? Uh, I had suggested that you read from, what was it, 1 Samuel 12, the um, story of Nathan confronting David. And he did that by telling a very touching story And do I have the right words? Um, The way we word things is so critical. Um, Interesting, that word in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins, go and show him his faults in private. That word, show him, was used of a defense attorney, a lawyer. And no lawyer worth his salt goes into court without having thought through what he's going to say and anticipating what the answers might be. Case in point, what I read earlier. Now, how do I go about correcting? Questions to ask, is it God's time for me to go? When you look at the confrontation of Nathan to David, do you realize there was a full year's time between David's sin with Bathsheba and David confronting him. Now, maybe Nathan needed a year to get up the guts to do it. <laughs> but sometimes, and this is important, I believe that sometimes God allows us to experience the consequences of our sin in that process of bringing us to repentance. Repentance. That's critical. You as parents or grandparents know that sometimes the worst thing you can do is bail your kids out of the mess they've gotten themselves in. Um, Second, am I prepared to risk rejection, impersonal? Okay, I thought do I have all the facts? Do I, what is objective, right wording? Is it God's, did, I, did we do, is it time for God? Yeah, number seven. okay, that's the last one, okay. Am I prepared to risk rejection and attack? You can lose friends over this. Now, procedure for correcting. Be as private as the wrong, be cautious and wise, be direct and open, be humble, not judgmental, be gentle but firm. Point them to God's word and the necessary steps toward restoration. Can anybody think of a story where restoration was needed when the person came to faith? And there's a number of them. I was thinking of Zacchaeus. Remember? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He was ripping people off as a tax collector. And what what did he do after he came to faith? He made restitution to all the people that he had wronged. Always remember this, forgiveness does not mean we don't deal with the consequences of what happened. Be persistent if necessary. James says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, here's some discussion questions. I've yapped for the last 20 minutes. And now it's time for you to talk. Number one, which hindrance to correct or bringing a person to repentance is the most common excuse for not doing it? And can you think of others? Now remember, here's the things. They're on your sheet of paper as well. Fear, a misunderstanding of Matthew 7, 1. Awareness of personal sins. We're flat out lazy. The relative morality, can, can you imagine if, if your neighbor were to say, oh, wow, I went down to the gay pride parade today, and oh, it was so great. It was wonderful. You know, maybe, you, maybe that's not the time to correct them. <laughs> Probably not. But my point is, you know, if they were to say, why weren't you there? Why don't you come with me and let's celebrate this uh, and uncertainty over the issue. Now, what hindrance is the most common excuse that maybe you use for not doing this? Anybody? And if, if nobody talks, I'm going to draft Russ. <laughs> Only because I love him.
1: I don't know if this would fall under fear, but a lot of it, I think, I feel like is knowledge of Scripture. Boy, so that's the, a great one. You, know, you don't know where to look if people question you, like, well, where does it say in the Bible? I can't do this or that. Or they flip it on you, like, well, well it says this or that in the Bible. So I think a lot of it, I don't know if that'd fall under fear, though, but... I guess a little bit of it is knowledge
2: of Scripture.
0: Boy, that, that's a great, great observation. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Um, you know, people go back, and they go back to the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. And they say, Have, how can you say that, you know, the Bible's something that's helpful? Look, God ordered the Israelis to slaughter men, women, and children, there was polygamy that was tolerated. Look at some of the behavior of some of, quote, men after God's own heart. David. He lied. He committed adultery. He committed murder. Excellent point, Mike. Others. <laughs> Obviously Ken does all the talking, right?
2: <laughs> I think that you have enlisted a place that doesn't fit the way I would classify it. It's not my place. I'm not the morality police. Um, it's not my business.
0: Is that a valid excuse?
2: I'm just saying if you wanted me to answer the question, right, that's right. the way I would answer. Yeah. It. Yeah. Okay. It's it's not my it's 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 not my responsibility and and, uh, and there are many reasons why it could be turned around the other way, but bottom line is who am I? Yeah. Who am I to tell somebody else?
0: Let me tell you an f- interesting story. It happened on Good Friday. My kids from Grand Junction were here, and I think some of my other kids were here for Easter, maybe not. But we had gone skiing that day, and I came down about mid-afternoon, and we were going to have pizza, and then come over to the church for the Good Friday service. Well, I go to Papa Murphy's, we'd ordered the pizzas, no, no, I, you can order them online back then. This happened about four or five years ago. but. I go in and I order the pizzas. And as I'm going in, I notice there's a car parked two stalls away to the left of Papa Murphy's. And there are two children in it, one of them in a car seat, almost like an infant seat. And I walked in and I said, excuse me, I said, is is there anybody in here who's Children are in that car out there. And there was a guy who literally got in my face and accused me of being a butt in ski. He said, What does it matter? And I said, I'm just concerned. I said, There's no adult supervision. Those children are in the car all by themselves. If that had been the summer and it was 100 degrees out, you know, I would have, you know, broken the windows and got those children out. And just because it was, you know, in the spring, and it was still cold enough out that, it, that they were fine. I mean, they weren't gonna die of heat exhaustion or anything like that. But this guy got me so angry that after I did my order, she said, it'll be about 10 minutes. And I said, I'll be back. I said, I need to get out of here. I mean, I was so livid. And I called my son, who's a police officer. <laughs> Would you come up and arrest him? <laughs> and I said, I said, what should you do in a situation like that? And he said, you can't do anything. You know? And, he ju- and so, Bob, you're right. I mean, I don't think that it's a moral issue per se. But when you, when you, maybe there's a neighbor who, um, isn't taking care of his yard and it's bringing down the value of everybody's home or whatever. I don't know. But that's a good point. And where do you draw the line? Russ,
3: we always in a situation like that, there's always something we can do. Second Timothy or First Timothy? No, Second Timothy 2, 1 and 2 or First Timothy. Pray for him.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's First Timothy. Okay. too. Good, good. Yeah. We can do that. Yeah. Let's move on to the next question. Um, many think of confronting as being abrasive. Others think gentleness means not being strong. Where is the biblical balance? And Let's talk about some of the instances where Jesus corrected people. How do you strike that balance? Now, come on, I'm not the only one who's confronted.
2: <laughs> well, I think you can be gentle, but still be firm yeah. with an answer. And you know, there is a verse, but I'm making <laughs> think of it
0: You're having a Michael moment.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a senior moment. Well, sometimes it's her hurry the person instantly has to respond properly. And uh, I found that true in every time. if I could go outside the Bible if I'm
0: allowed. You are most certainly
2: Progress. When talkative is having a discussion with faithful and then with with Christian, they talk. Uh, faithful pretty much puts talkative in its place, and later, later in the story, uh, I'm not sure who it was, whether it was evangelist or somebody, puts. Other individuals from the town of Vanity Fair in their place uh, by simply telling them what they are obviously it's, it's it's his opinion but it's a way of sort of confronting them with who they are what they are and differentiating that from Biblical behavior. Um, the reason I know that because I just read it yesterday. So. <laughs> um, and I thought, after seeing your, your, your email, it might be a, it's kind of a, a connection. It, it's a similar situation yeah. in which they, they're being, they're, they're being almost confronted by, by someone who wants them to adopt different standards uh, different perspectives and their response is no, this is what you are, okay, this is how you are and that's not in accordance with my understanding of Christian beliefs or, or behaviors. know um, obviously they're not trying to be sensitive and that, and that wasn't the, the, the point of the, of the story, but its still, and the story wasn't so much to correct them to get them to change their behavior, it's to get them to to recognize the difference in the behavior, maybe ultimately they would, but that's not the story. Like, it was more or less a pretty straightforward description of of, of of what you you're doing and what you should be doing and contrasting those.
1: Excellent. Somebody else? Well, isn't this basically talking about bringing someone who has gone astray—that's a Christian person—and not somebody outside of the church? Because yeah, that's I, I get in this point. I get real trouble. Um, you get in here. trouble too with your wife. <laughs> yes, because I'm too outspoken sometimes, and uh, if there's a Mormon in the group. Uh, I get some dirty looks. <laughs> so, you know, I sort of have to keep it down and not worry about other people outside of our home. And as far as I, I've never had to confront anybody, a brother uh, doing something wrong in the church, except once, Fred. And we were having the uh, Lord's table. And he went, there was about six of us who worked around, you know, delivered it to the congregation. And Fred, who was a new elder, uh, started picking up the top off of the wine. And I said, no, Fred, the bread comes first. And <laughs> he quickly put it down and then served the bread first. But uh, anyway, but you know, I've never had to confront somebody in, no. in the church. Uh, I've never seen anybody who, or known of anybody who's gone astray. So and I haven't, ended, haven't done it. I remember when I was in Dallas,
0: I uh, went to Mexico. I was still doing medical missions trips. Mm-hmm. The church gate allowed me to go do, and I did two of them, and then I stopped because it was just, it was more work than I wanted to do, and I wanted to focus on the church. But the last one that I did, I ended up cutting it short because um, <laughs> We had a young couples class that went away on a camping trip. And while they were gone, there was some inappropriate behavior that went on among the couples. And I had to confront that. And it was funny because the elders called me in Mexico. They finally got a hold of me Sunday night or Saturday night after I got there, and we talked, and I made the decision to fly home Sunday afternoon, and, uh, and then I, I dealt with it. But what was interesting is that they, I, I told the elders when I, they picked me up at the airport, and then I went to the church, and we had an elders meeting, and I said <laughs> I said, I really saw a sign, or a t-shirt, that sums up what the problem here is. And the t-shirt said, I'd like to help, but I can't fix stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, what were these people thinking? Mm -hmm. Now it wasn't people, they they didn't have sex, but they were stripping down Mm -hmm. and doing stuff. And then there was a guy who was listening to it, and instead of stopping him, he just listened and didn't do anything. And then he got so upset, and that's how we found out about it. And it's like, his name was Daniel. I won't give you his last name, because you might know his dad at least. (laughs) It wasn't Daniel Okay. Let's look at the third one. Hopefully this will just get you thinking, okay? What are some biblical guidelines for knowing when to let something go and when to confront? I think this goes back to some of the things we talked about. You know, where do you say, "You know what? That's really not my place. I did not think I was out of line in asking about who's who left their two kids in the car?"
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought that was very legit. And if, if somebody had simply said, oh, it's me and I'm keeping an eye on him," I would have said, fine, no problem. Because I, I pulled my children later when we were all together once. I told them how angry I was by the way this guy literally got in my face. And you know, I can't, and, and then he was ranting and raving about these people who stick their nose in where they have no business. And you know, what, what concern is it of yours? And I don't have a short fuse, but this got it lit. <laughs> and I was ready to uh, give him a piece of my mind that I couldn't afford.
2: Because
3: I
0: didn't think I was out of line. But what are guidelines for knowing when to let something go and when to
3: confront? And are there? Russ, please. Um, the passage that I always go to is First Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. Paul is telling him I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or with covetous or swindlers or with idolaters or for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with the any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covet covetous or idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler not even to eat with such a one for what have I to do with judging outsiders do you not judge those that are within the church but those who are outside God judges remove the wicked man from among yourselves so I use that passage to consider is, is the environment, is the person that I'm interacting with part of the church or outside the church, and is it appropriate to, um, how is it appropriate to handle, and since you mentioned all, and especially since you asked a professional for input like your son on, you know, what could you do? The answer is obvious. You can't yeah. do anything about controlling or causing someone else to behave to your standards. What you think is safe, what you think is impo- appropriate. So that's why, you know, I, you gotta let God take care of it. But what I can do is I can pray for those stupid people that I run yeah. into. Uh, I
0: know that my daughter said, you know, she had at that time six kids. Um, she said, Dad, she says, there's been lots of times when I've gone to some place and I'll park and rather than hauling six kids, you know, I'll say, stay here and I'm only going to be in there for five minutes and she is, you know. But there's always those situations. And again, it wasn't hot it, and I wasn't trying to say, I wasn't going to get in someone's face and say that was irresponsible. But that, Russ, isn't. Excellent, excellent insight. Well spoken. Very, very good. Somebody else. When to let something go and when to confront. Bob, you look like you want to say something. You got a
2: smirk on your face. (laughs) Not a smirk. Yeah, I know. It's I used to live in the YMCA in downtown Fort Worth, Texas. Not recommended. No air conditioning in the summer. place to live. And it's a tough neighborhood too. To if you remember And I was walking down the street. I don't remember why. It was after dark, and there was a couple of people in the parking lot uh, having to go at each other. You know, little fisticuffs. And uh, I was real tempted to go in there and separate them and, you know, be the, be the peacemaker. And I actually turned, uh, turned to do that, and then they saw me so sort of stopped. And, and uh, um, I think found other things, other ways to, re- to resolve their conflict. Uh, but I, I, I didn't belong in that situation. And fortunately, I, I guess, there at the end, I, I realized I should not get involved, um, but that—that's not exactly the, the, the circumstance we're talking about sure. here. But it's what occurred to me when you when you said that. So, yeah. that's that's my story, and I'm, I'm sticking with I like it. We'll take one more question and
0: then move on. Then we'll close. What is the most difficult part of the Ministry of Correction for you, and why? Curious, to know Russ, I don't mean to put you on the spot, no, it's fine. but you've been at this church for 40 years. You have had an incredibly impactful um, influence on high schoolers, junior highs, some are now adults, some who are in their 40s, maybe some in their 50s, even I don't know. Um, Have you, in the course of that time, ever confronted parents about
3: things that they may have been doing? That's a hard one because. um, (laughs) That's a hard one. Okay. Because I'll I'll tell a quick story a little bit. being in their shoes you know I haven't been there except for when God gave me a education through someone that some of you know and that's Chris Linty it was different as a youth leader to deal with young people because you could just send them home yeah. but once they are in your house and that is a whole different ballgame, yeah. and I'll share this part, and Chris wouldn't mind me sharing it. There were times when I threatened to take him down to the rescue mission and just leaving him. <laughs> I mean, because it is hard dealing with a adult that's grow or a young person that's thinking they're a, you know. Anyway, it's hard. It's not easy. So my first response is just to pray for him because one of the things I learned is God is the only one that can change a heart, whether that's of a parent or of a child. God's the only one that can change a heart, and unless he gives you that opportunity to speak into that life, um, I, I'm very cautious.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, and I agree. One of the things that I've said, and then I'm gonna close, because I do wanna to go to my office and just make sure I'm ready for church got a sermon I've got to prepare. <laughs> five minutes. Yeah, um, five-minute sermon. And with that digression, my chain
1: of thought, I lost. Mm-hmm. Well, it was last week. We were in a church in, out there in California, and I almost said something. We were visiting. Didn't know them. But the kids were in the balcony playing tag. And I, and the parents were sitting there. And I almost got up and asked the parents, do you know this is God's house? Or a young kid running through the church with his hat on, that probably disturbs me more than anything. Mm-hmm. Hey, take the hat off, this is God's house. You don't put your hat on. And I know the Air Force Academy there in Colorado Springs, they got a big sign, all men, please remove your hat when you enter the, the church there. And the football, I'm sure they used to play in the play. Yeah. What's that? The football that they used
3: to
2: try and play in the foyer there in the oh, Forest
1: Church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but t- those are the type of things that disturb me and I like to get involved into them, but you just don't know whether, you know, you're gonna be set upon it if you do that, the parents will jump on you because you're correcting them. Now I remembered what I was gonna say. One of the things that I feel
0: much more confident as you get older, is I feel like I can, and I have a sufficient track record, to, if I meet with a younger man, to correct him, Mm -hmm. to rebuke him if necessary, and to say, look, you're making some terrible, terrible choices right now. You're neglectful of your wife, your kids are not responding to you, they no longer respect you because of what you've been doing, and uh, I'll give you one illustration, and it's it's heartbreaking, but Urban Myers, I don't know if you followed that, the coach of the Jaguars. I thought he was a pretty good guy. He seemed like a pretty upstanding guy. But for him to go to a bar and to engage in the behavior that he did is just... Inexcusable, and I cannot imagine. And and we live in a world today where all you have to do is say, "I'm really sorry." What was I thinking? I remember Howard or um, Dr. Toussaint said this. He said regarding men who commit adultery, he said there's only one explanation, and that's temporary insanity. Mm-hmm. There's not a pastor who doesn't know what the scriptures teach on this. Yep. And the only explanation is temporary insanity. Mm-hmm. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our morning together. Thank you for these who are here. Pray that this discussion would have encouraged us to realize that as Christ's followers, we've been called to correct uh, and confront and rebuke when necessary. Help us not to be those who take any kind of joy or happiness in it when we have to do it. Help us always to do it with a broken heart and help us to realize that that would probably be one of the best acid tests for us to ask is are we doing it with any kind of glee or joy or happiness or are we doing it with a broken heart? And so I pray that you would just help us bless the service to follow. Pray that you would use our time in the Word to encourage us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.